This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Morena no mai kiti korero. Welcome to the catch up on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo Irarangi Onatangata o Manawatu. It is a Monday morning, and so we turn our attention to the Manawatu Standard to find out what they've been reporting on in the past week or so. Uh, and as usual, we are delighted to have, uh, albeit on the phone, uh, Jimmy Ellingham. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Fraser. Um, so yes, we um, we spoke last week. I think we led with this last week as well. The um, the council having, I think, almost one fifth of its current roles advertised as vacant positions, um, which obviously leads you to draw one of two conclusions: one, that explains why council isn't working the way I want, or two, the council's working all right. Why do they need all these people? Um, you've got a little bit more Depending information for view, us. Yes. Yeah, well, exactly. You've got a little bit more information for us, though. Yes, we have. You're right. There's 140 vacancies out of uh, 670 uh, council staff. And last week, uh, I might have said, Fraser, that we, we weren't sure what effect recent restructures had had on that figure. But yeah. uh, and the council was too busy to tell us uh, under Alert Level 3 because uh, Palmerston North has been a a hotspot, isn't it, of uh, COVID nineteen related activity? But anyway, <laughs> they got back to us. <laughs> got back to us last week, and it does appear perhaps very little effect of recent restructures on those vacancies. Uh, recent reshuffles mean that there's a, an increase of seven roles uh, within the council. So it doesn't. You know, I don't, don't think that's a huge portion of that. One hundred and forty. Uh, we also spoke to local government New Zealand uh, president Stuart Crosby, and we asked if this was comparable to other councils across. New Zealand. He, he didn't have any numbers, but he did say yes across the board. There are lots of uh, areas that we discussed last week. I think planning uh, that, that those sort of staff, those sort of areas where people are highly sought after. And uh, Crosby made the point that, particularly with limited rates takes, and you want to keep rates affordable, that limits the budget councils have to pay for these people to make these positions attractive. And so it really is quite hard, isn't it, to, to get that balance? And that's what uh, local governments, organisations. Uh, so are these, I mean, are, is what their uh, local government New Zealand in essence saying that these are roles that have uh, private uh, enterprise counterparts with, that can afford to pay more than government? Or are these roles that are very specific to government? And is it just that working in local government is not that appealing? Yeah, as you mentioned, central government in terms of the big programs of reform at the moment, lots of these sorts of workers would... Uh, be attracted to central government, which can pay more, because obviously they're not just so reliant on rates. And the, the likes of planners and that, I, I suppose, but you can get jobs. I imagine there would be jobs within the private sector uh, also. And um, as we've spoken about before, too, there's a disparity, isn't there, between larger councils that have lots and lots of money and a huge rate space versus smaller councils. And the example we've spoken many times about is the Manawatu district councils are finding it tough to hang on to staff in that sort of area and have a limited base of people that they can charge for it, really, for through the rates. Uh, and that's, that's really one of the problems that councils have, that most of their income is from uh, rates. But uh, some councils, I mean, like the regional councils, such as Horizons, 
get some income doesn't it, from a property portfolio, but even then, I'd imagine that would be relatively small fry compared with what they actually charge people mm. <laughs> to live in the region. I guess that I, I don't know if if this is true or not, but just thinking about that, no one wants to work in a workplace where there's lots of drama, and certainly local government does tend to churn the drama quite a lot. I mean, we look at Horofenua, we look at Manawatu District recently, uh, and and being closely associated with that, and maybe it's just my unnecessary. Uh, interest in local body politics, but you often see a lot of infighting, well, not infighting, but a lot of uh, conflict uh, or butting of heads between what councillors want to do from a governance perspective and what council officers may be advising. It, it's, 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 it's not a hotbed of sort of lovely holding hands and cuddles, is it? No, it's not. And some of that, I think, because they blur the boundaries of what uh, both sides, but more so elected officials, blur the boundaries of what really they can do. They, they seem to think that council staff are at their beck and call, which, of course, they're not. They're there to advise them. Um, and, and on the other side, too, I think uh, some non-elected officials, as in you know, council employees, to uh, let councillors get away with that behaviour, plus uh, effectively at times act as um, you know, spin doctors in a way for, for the councillors. And, and really there should be that separation there. So uh, that is true, but if that is the case, then from what I've heard from various councils around New Zealand where that does happen, it's generally the fault of, of both sides. So, given that I've given all these wild and unfounded speculations, is there any? Has there been any response from LGNZ or the Palmerston North City Council, as this specific example, as to why they can't fill the positions? Is it just? I mean, are people just simply not applying? Are they getting no feedback as to why? Well, as we said, there's those areas such as planning where there's a shortage around the country, which uh, helps with this. And um, last week, I think I mentioned to Palmerston North City Council. Given the rates increase last in the last financial year, not the one just gone, the one before was so small they had to hold some of those vacancies over. So, so that's probably uh, the reasons. But I mean, as you and I have spoken about it, attracting talent to the regions it can be quite hard. Anyway, so they're, they're really up against this on many fronts. I think. Indeed. Uh, Very good, Jimmy. Well, we'll watch that one with interest. Uh, Something else we've been watching with Let's call it interest, uh, although bemusement might be a better term. Um, The let's call them squatters at Mount Lees Reserve. This is an area uh, owned by Manawatu District Council with a now uh, defunct uh, B&B building there. There is uh, controversy around why that closed as well, as it turns out. But there are a couple of people uh, residing uh, in Mount Lees Reserve, and not just residing, but claiming it as theirs. Uh, because from memory they flew a flag and planted a crop. Um, did we find out what the crop was? No, no, we, st- we still haven't. And uh, <laughs> our latest story on the Mount Lees saga um, with uh, Carrie Ann Reddy and some of her uh, uh, band of followers, if you will, uh, they, they actually haven't been there since the start of lockdown. So when that level four was announced in August 17th, uh, they went home. But we've done some more reporting that shows the local council, um, also district council, which owns the land, was a bit frustrated at the police for not uh, enforcing uh, some trespass notices there. But um, our um, reporting there also found out that uh, council officers did find the flag, and they found where the crop had been, but the crop, whatever it might have been, the carrot, the corn, um, was had been removed. Uh, so, <laughs> so we still don't, uh, don't know that important piece of information. But... 
Yes, so after uh, it took the council staff apparently a couple of weeks to actually find Terry Andretti and serve her with a trespass notice, and in return she gave council staff uh, one of her own, saying that they could be liable up for <laughs> for a fine of up to one thousand dollars and three months jail uh, if they entered her property, which is of course public land which anyone can enter. But she was also uh, her and her followers were going a bit further than that; they were entering the building, which is not uh, a public building, which is owned by the Manawatu okay. District Council if they're a loady or claim as they call it, um, it's important to say, of course, this doesn't exist yes. in New Zealand law. And I don't think it's existed in any law, probably since <laughs> the time of Robin Hood or um, something along those lines. But uh, Reddy also, she renamed the reserve Candle in the Wind at first, and then later... Oh, an Elton John fan. Yeah, potentially. It's a very good song, isn't it? But then later called it Candle in the Dark, uh, which is... Uh, well, that doesn't that does make sense. You wouldn't light a candle during the day. No, no, you wouldn't. Nor in the wind, actually. <laughs> that's, that's very true. But, <laughs> yes, um, one one thing that um, came up from our <laughs> reporting on this too, the, uh, the collection of emails sent among council staff, the council chief executive Shane Harris told councillors what was going on, and uh, councillor Hefferty Taylor replies. How funny. I hope the saga dies down quickly, Shane. <laughs> That's quite interesting to see. Perhaps some of the councillors didn't take it uh, seriously at first, but uh, Shane Harris uh, wasn't wasn't laughing about it because at one point, apparently, there was some 10 or so of the squatters were uh, at, at the land and, and the old bed and breakfast, which they intended to operate along similar lines as the function centre. And um, two police officers turned up but felt outnumbered, so left. And Shane Harris sort of complained to the police regional commander, Cliff Brown, saying, well, what's the point in having a trespass notice if it can't be uh, acted on? Well, that's uh, we a fairly valid point, isn't it? Mm. Oh, it's a very valid point. Uh, we did contact police as well, and they um, didn't really give us anything interesting, sort of a few lines about how they prefer to educate people rather than you know, go going all in and all that sort of uh, stuff. But uh, you can see you can see why the council would potentially be frustrated. And the fact that it was only the uh, Delta outbreak that uh, resolved the situation and once we go back to perhaps level one, who's to say that this situation won't play up again? Well, I suppose, I mean, for all that this is a ludicrous claim and uh, a waste of everyone's time, at least they're observing the, the lockdown rules. I mean, that's that, that's something to be thankful for. When we hear about otherwise, well, you'd assume otherwise sensible people breaking border exemptions and the like, it's, it's nice to hear that someone is actually obeying the rules. <laughs> I wonder if they've got their vaccines. <laughs> we won't go there. No, fair <laughs> enough. Um, so, I mean, yeah, what is the... Because, I mean, this kind of harks... Looking at the police angle of this, this harks back to... Um, I know Helen Warboys has been uh, vocal about this and, and in support of the community uh, not being thrilled with police operations uh, for Manawatu and fielding specifically being uh, run from Palmerston North. Um, the, you know, the, the police wanted to sort of consolidate the, the operational side of things, gave some assurances to the fielding community that police presence wouldn't be affected in the area, but that hasn't really borne out uh, to the community's satisfaction. Is this a sort of example of that where limited police numbers are used to tackle what is actually quite a big issue, feeling outnumbered and then not even doing the education side of things that they purport to be doing? Uh, yeah, it could, it could be an example of that. I, I think that's more for emergency situations such as assaults and that sort of thing because uh, the Fielding Police Station is now, there's not some station there all the time, although there in fact has been during some of the Level 4 and 3 uh, situations we've been, I'm not quite sure 
what the status is at level two. Uh, the police say, well, we always have one patrol in the, in the town, but of course the problem with that is if, if they're busy, then where's the backup? And that might have been the case in this instance too. If you've got that one patrol, two officers dealing with 10 people, it's going to take a while to get more officers there. Um, so, I mean, it can't help, can it, having, having the, no police officers uh, stationed in the town on a regular basis. No, indeed. We are here with Jimmy Ellingham from the Manawatu Standard, looking at what they've been reporting on in the past week or so on The Catch-Up. Remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of The Catch-Up series, just head to the website, mpr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Jimmy, let's move on to something else that we've we've battered on quite a lot about over the, the... past few years, I think, really. Uh, this is, of course, the Palmerston North Nature Calls uh, project involving all the consultations and submissions. Uh, last week, I believe, they voted on the preferred option uh, for Nature Calls, uh, and it was after all of this and all of the the sort of robust and constructive discussions, it was not unanimous by any stretch of anything, was it? No, no. So the option that we spoke about, I think it was last week or the week before, to pump most of our city wastewater, continue it in the river, but have it treated to a much higher degree than it is now. But in summertime, in the low flow season, a lot of it will go to land and an area which is about uh, 760 hectares, which is a quarter of the area of Palmerston North City, so it's huge, as where this treated water uh, will be pumped to. So that the city council passed this last week to stick with that at a $496 million price tag, but six councillors uh, voted against uh, what was proposed. There was one slight tweak from what you and I spoke uh, about a few weeks ago when we said that that 760 hectares would be the minimum, and over time you'd expect to see more of this wastewater go to land, and up to 2,000 hectares could be needed, uh, which is getting a bit ridiculous. I don't know where you're going to find that much land. Uh, so Councillor Pat Hancock uh, voted to limit it to 760 hectares, and most councillors the majority anyway, uh, supported that. But yeah, very hefty price tag, $496 million. Karen Naylor voted against it for that reason. And of course, the city council auditors said that uh, earlier this year, basically, that we can't afford that much. But I think we might be pinning our hopes on um, the three waters reform, meaning that it'll go to a new authority rather than the city council to deal with. Well, I mean, that's a bit of a gamble because that's not that's not as certain. I mean, local government across the country have stood up and told the, the government stop or at least pause and reconsider this. Um, I wouldn't have said that three waters reform is necessarily a guaranteed thing at the moment. No, we saw Manawatu District Council last week uh, stand up and come out relatively against it, wasn't it? Saying that well, our wastewater system and all our water systems, as far as we're concerned anyway, are fine. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> yes, you're right. There's, there's no, uh, no fait accompli, I wouldn't have thought. But no. uh, whatever happens, this, this resource consent will be uh, sought for now, which will give Palmerston North the highest treat, treatment of wastewater uh, in New Zealand. Uh, it'll be so good you could almost drink it, but it's just missing one final uh, piece of the puzzle, which would uh, get it up to that drinking water standard. Uh, one thing that I find a bit interesting, of course, you treat this water so it becomes uh, effectively what you might get in tap. That sort of quality, but um, by removing all the nitrates and that sort of thing, by then pumping it onto land, you're sort of losing the advantage that you would have previously with wastewater um, to grow to grow things and that sort of thing. But uh, I think <laughs> the fact it's been treated to a very high degree is, should give some people some reassurance uh, about the quality of 
what's going to happen to that man well yeah i mean i mean that that, that's the whole point though isn't it that the the, the council you'd think would have voted unanimously on this but there was a a strong body of councillors that didn't on the basis that we were still pumping water into the river yep that's right and that's um, the likes of brent barris renee dingwell uh, Rachel Bowen, uh, I think, were among and Lorna Johnson's also that had at least a relative as well. They wanted that 760 hectares uh, to over time increase so we get more water out of the river and onto land. Um, it may sound a bit snarky too, but um, it's quite possible if the water is so well treated it could improve the quality of the Manawatu River anyway. But uh, so we, I, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know if the councillors here uh, have taken heed of um, sort of the advice of the officials and the science that they're hearing, it seems that um, there's a few preconceived ideas and that they haven't been shifted at all. Well, we'll have to wait and see. Hopefully in the course of the next few weeks on the catch-up, when we have a Palmerston North City Council slot, we can maybe speak to one of those councillors and drill down a little bit into that uh, decision. <laughs> we should say, though, that even though they did uh, stand against it, it was still 10 to 6, which means the plan is going ahead uh, with that limit on the size of the land that they can use. Um, and uh, with that, the uh, confirmation of the hefty bill, um, which, well... We'll just have to wait and see uh, who's going to pay for that. But I think a few people might be reaching behind couches at the moment. Um, let- yes, and I think, actually, uh, Fraser, sorry, just uh, one more thing on that. Um, depending on you know, which councillors you speak to, you're going to get two pretty, pretty divergent uh, views on it. So it's going to be interesting to hear what they have to say. Indeed. Uh, let's uh, sort of take a, a swift right turn here. Uh, we're looking at Thai Happy now, in particular uh, the school out there. Uh, apparently, Ministry of Education is selling off some land. Yeah, well, not selling it off as such, so they've got rid of it. Um, so this is a bit of a shocker, um, actually. And, and the reason this was in the news again is because last week an ombudsman's report came out looking at the process that the Ministry of Education went through to get rid of land from Taihepi Area School. And that area school was formed oh, just over 10, sort of 15 years ago with the uh, amalgamation of Taihepi College and the primary school. And Taihepi College back in 1990 bought some farmland next to the school so it could teach agriculture. Uh, but the Ministry of Education uh, in 2014, 15, and over the next couple of years uh, decided really without doing any proper investigation that uh, that land, thank you very much, the school doesn't need that. It's next to the old Taihepi College. Taihepi Area School has a new campus away from there, and we'll, uh, we'll give that to the land bank. And the school sort of uh, was up in arms about that at the time and has continued to be because it actually owned the land. So the Ministry of Education normally owns everything at a school, but this piece of land was bought by the fundraising in the local community and, uh, you know, traditional sausage sizzles, lots of uh, car washes, that sort of thing, 30 years ago. So it was owned by the locals. It wasn't owned by the Ministry of Education yet. The Ministry of Education decided the land wasn't needed. We'll give it to the land bank, so it's there for treaty claims. So Happy Area School still actually uses the land, but as Ian McKilvey, the Rangatiki MP, said, there's no guarantee that that could continue in the future. He even raised the possibility of the Ministry of Education paying compensation for the school and so they can buy new farmland or use it as they see fit to teach agriculture. The Ministry of Education was advised by the Ombudsman to apologise to Thai Happy Area School, which it's done, but the Ombudsman cannot do more than that. Uh, he can make recommendations, which Chief, Just, uh, Chief uh, Ombudsman Judge Peter Boucher did, but uh, you can't actually, the Ombudsman can't order 
anyone to do anything. It's more the embarrassment of a decision coming out sometimes. And uh, sometimes, too, we see the way these decisions get interpreted. Uh, a few years ago, we reported on the decision by the Ombudsman finding that uh, Horofanua District Council Chief Executive David Clapperton should not have been snooping through emails uh, sent to elected officials. Mm. And the Ombudsman sort of said, well, this is no good, um, but I don't really have the power to do anything. So Horofanua District Council rushed out a press release saying they've been cleared. Um, and, and that's not what happened at all. It's just simply the Ombudsman uh, has no powers, so you can't fine anyone. It's really, uh, he can embarrass them and suggest that they do things. But yeah. Uh, yeah, this is a complete shocker by the Ministry of Education. It's not actually clear how it happened. They said they've changed their processes since then, so something like this will never happen again. But I think there was perhaps some assumptions made that, uh, well, because the school now operates in a new, in a new ground, that this old farmland next to the old school are probably not getting used. But it appears no one checked with the school. Good lot. I mean, so, but I mean, this. I mean, the Ministry of Education must have had it written down somewhere that it was an asset. Uh, maybe not, well, that, not knowing whose it was. But then the, the, the yeah. school. I don't understand how Ministry of Education would even know about it, given, as you say, the school fundraised for it. They probably held it in some sort of trust, didn't they? Well, there are lots of presumptions. Apparently, the school actually uh, area school had a little bit of trouble proving ownership. But uh, going back to assumptions being made at the time of the amalgamation between schools. They just at Thai Happy, Thai Happy Area School just assumed that the land would sort of come come with them, and that never happened for whatever reason. Um, so that, that's a bit that's a, it's a bit foggy. But the chief ombudsman said he never he doesn't accept that the Ministry of Education made adequate inquiries, which points to the fact perhaps that people in Wellington just made some assumptions about the land without actually checking on it. Now I'm a bit hazy on this side of things, but you say that the land is that is now in the land bank. Uh, yeah. Can that be reversed, or what, what's the what, no? Who, who runs no. the land bank? What? How, how does that bank, work? Yeah, so the land bank's run by Land Information New Zealand, and once land goes there, it, it, it can't be reversed straight away. So it has to stay in there until local iwi get a chance to to make claims on it, which I don't think has happened in this case yet, but it could possibly happen. And then if that doesn't happen then they have a process to go through about you know, buying land back. So the Ministry of Education could perhaps do that. But that's no guarantee that any of that would happen. It can't simply be given back. Once it's in the land bank, it has to go through the whole process, which can take years and years and years, as we've seen with land around Manawatu, don't we? The Fielding Courthouse has been in the land bank for close to a, a decade since it's shut and nothing's happened there. There's the old Palmerston North Police Station building. We all know what sort of state that's in. It's recently been... Uh, was offered and, and accepted. Um, Rangatani bought that, but uh, still no development there. So these things don't uh, don't resolve quickly. I, I think Ian McKelvey's suggestion of perhaps allowing the school to buy, giving the school you know, public money to buy some different farmland, if that's what it wishes, uh, could be a quicker resolution. Indeed. I mean, as you have used the appropriate terminology, that is an absolute shocker because we all know that schools are, are not flourishing in cash at the moment. And to have an asset like that just... Uh, pardon the parlance, but wheaked away out of under you. It's it's, it's bizarre. Yeah, exactly. And, and as I said, it, it is important to remember Taipei Area School does still use this farmland, but that's through an agreement that's reached with the Ministry of Education that has no guarantee that that will continue into the future. Because if an iwi were to make a claim on that land, and quite rightly, the iwi could do what it likes. Well, so it may well let the school use it, but who's to say that that, that would necessarily happen? Uh, and Taipei Area School. As we know about the Rangatiki town, 
many people around there work in the agricultural sector, don't they? So it appears to be a key part of, uh, of, of you know, a key teaching asset for Thai Happy Area School. Very good, uh, Jimmy. We're, we've got a few minutes left. We've managed to get through about 23 minutes of the catch-up without really mentioning COVID, but alas, we have to finish up with it because um, we've got uh, news of an isolation unit coming to, to town. Yes, well, there will be one built. We can't tell you where. In fact, uh, the Mid-Central District Health Board will not say where it is, but they've got some accommodation owned by Mid-Central plus some motel rooms, which will be used uh, for people isolating who cannot do it at home. So this is not for people who have tested positive for COVID-19. If, if there is a community outbreak and people test positive and they're well, the idea would be to send them to an MIQ facility, the closest one being in Wellington. But this is for people who might be close contacts of the, anyone who uh, tests positive and needs to isolate uh, for some amount of time. And, uh, and you know, if you are isolating this accommodation, You'd be checked on apparently regularly over the phone by staff, which is what happens to close contact uh, anyway. And uh, there's some Palmerston North City Council staff apparently have been or would be seconded uh, to help with that process as well. Um, Palmerston North Hospital, just on, on the COVID uh, side of things, too, has had an emergency review done to look at, its, uh, look at its ventilation systems just to make sure that if there were to be a community outbreak, we can uh, make sure that everything's uh, in, in order there. And uh, it has apparently 62 beds on standby, including nine in pressurised rooms uh, for COVID-19 patients if there were to be an outbreak uh, in the city or, or the wider area. Okay. So, so yes, yeah, so this isn't an MIQ facility. This is just a, a place. <laughs> I, I get, yeah, for close contacts. Or, or, or is it also for people who uh, feel like they've got some cold and flu symptoms, go and get a test from the doctor and then say, you know what, I can't go back home because, you know, we've got eight people living at home in a three-bedroom house because, you know, housing crisis. Is, is, is that what this will be used for as well? I'm not sure about that. I mean, they, they talked about close contacts only, but uh, potentially, I suppose. If, uh, I mean, if people in that situation you just described are advised to ring Healthline, and if, if that's what Healthline, um, you know, could get from the Mid-Central uh, District Health Board. Um, we also had some updates on uh, staff vaccination figures, and apparently 86% of Mid-Central staff responded to a survey uh, recently asking about that, and of those 86% of people, 79% of staff there were fully vaccinated. Uh, I don't know if, there's, if the others are waiting or, or they're not going to, uh, because the Central District Health Board, of course, does not make vaccinations compulsory among staff. Right. Okay, fair enough. Um, well, we are pretty much out of time for the catch-up this morning, uh, Jimmy. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you, Fraser. And remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch-Up series, just head to the website mpr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. We're also on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your online listening. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Catch-Up series, so do join us then half past eight like we do every morning. Uh, In the meantime, bye for now. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwifruit logo. Once you've got it, 
pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.